Let's do this quickly. So now we explained that there are five major offerings um, that were outlined in um, the Bible, specifically in the book of Leviticus. Please follow this. Don't miss anything. Now we said the first off the first three were voluntary offerings or what we call the free will offerings. Now these were uh, the bent offering number one, number two, the meal offering or what we call the grain offering. Number three is the peace offering or the fellowship offering. They were voluntary offerings and they were actually given as an act of free will. God did not impose it upon them to give that offering. But there were two other offerings that followed which is called the sin offering and the trespass offering. Now the sin offering and the trespass offering were mandatory offerings if a man wanted to be alive if he was in Israel. It was mandatory that when he sinned, he made that offering, gave that two offerings if he wanted to leave. Now, we established that um, there's a reason uh, why we are supposed to study these five offerings. We explained that God wanted man to see something. The first point was that, number one, he wanted man to see his holiness and man's sinfulness. God wanted man to see how holy he is and how sinful man is. So anytime there are instructions that are given to man and man tries to obey the instructions and fails, he begins to see that he has a problem and his problem was sin. You hear God saying, unclean, clean, don't approach me this way, approach me this way. So anytime man sees that separation that was made, he begins to see his sinfulness, then he begins to see God's perfection. Number two, we said it was, uh, it was necessary to study because it was to show the ugliness of sin and God's hatred for it. Now, we need to understand, a lot of times when we understand grace, we miss the whole thing about sin. Now, God is holy and because he is holy, he hates sin. The fact that Jesus died does not mean God now loves sin. The death of Jesus was the proof of God's hatred for sin because if God loves sin, he could have still said, forget about it, everything is fine but his son had to be punished for our sake to let man know that God does not uh, take sin lightly so the five offerings make us see the ugliness of sin when you see an animal scattered completely cut into pieces it makes you see how ugly sin is and how God hates it and what God does to sin is that okay? number three we said it, it was to show the love and grace of God through substitution because man sins he has to die but another takes the place of that man so that that man begins to go scot-free it was to show god's love and god's grace through the act of substitution or what we call the divine exchange number four we said it was also uh, uh, to fulfill uh, all the sacrifices and the offerings that were made it was to prove that jesus christ was going to fulfill every sacrifice and every offering that was made there were millions of offerings that were made in the Old Testament, but one offering, which was the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, cancelled everything. Are you following this? Now we explain that um, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, all the, the things we see in the Old Testament were, were shadows. They were types. They were mysteries that were hidden. Christ became the passcode that opened them up. So until we, until we begin to see the Old Testament with the lens of Jesus, we will not be able to understand it fully. 
Are you following this? So we said that the Old Testament was Christ in anticipation. The New Testament is Christ explained. It is Christ fulfilled. Are you seeing that? Let me see if I can, I can brush through again. The Old Testament, we said, is Christ in anticipation. The New Testament is Christ in realization. The Old Testament is Christ coming soon. The New Testament is Christ now available. The Old Testament um, is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. The Old Testament is Christ contained. The New Testament is Christ explained. The Old Testament is Christ in shadow. The New Testament is Christ in substance. The Old Testament is Christ in ritual. The New Testament is Christ in reality. The old is Christ in picture. The new is Christ in person. The old is Christ foretold. The new is Christ fulfilled. The old is Christ prophesied. The new is Christ in history because he has come. The old is Christ in pre-incarnation. The new is Christ in incarnation. Are you following this? So we said the Old Testament was the flashlight of prophetic truths. The New Testament is the floodlight of divine revelation. So what we had as flashlights is now a floodlight for us in divine revelation revealed in Jesus. So how do we interpret the Old Testament in the light of Jesus Christ? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse 15, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which is Genesis to Malachi, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, the scriptures, which is Genesis to Malachi, has the ability to give us wisdom in the matter of salvation, which is through faith in Christ. In other words, the summary of the Old Testament books which is called the scriptures or Genesis to Malachi is that we will have salvation which is through faith in Christ Jesus. So the goal and the end of the Old Testament books was to foretell that we will be saved by grace through faith and Jesus fulfilled it in the new. Are you following? So we study the five offerings to bring out Jesus Christ in them because without bringing Jesus out of the five offerings they will not mean anything to us we could say that it was for the Jews it was for Israel we don't need the five offerings again but today we can understand different various multifaceted aspects of the finished work of Christ by studying the five offerings is that clear? so now today we are going to take the first offering which is a very critical offering in fact the most important offering amongst all the offerings it's called the burnt offering. The burnt offering. Let's read Leviticus chapter 1 from the verse 2. Tonight you're going to be so blessed. Leviticus chapter 1 from the verse 2. Now, let's quickly read from the verse 2 to 9. He says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of cattle and of the herd and of the flock. He says, Of his offering be, if, sorry, if his offering be a what? Bent offering. That is the first offering. Or a bent sacrifice of the herd. Let him offer a meal without Please note every point here. Many of you just read the Bible. Today I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible. So note everything you are seeing here. The first qualification is that the lamb must be without blemish. Then he says, he shall offer it of his own what? 
voluntary will it was not forced or coerced or manipulated are you seeing that will he says of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the lord follow the verse 4 he says and he shall put his hand upon the herd of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement are you following number five he says and he shall kill the bullock before the lord and the priest aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood around about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation the verse six says and he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces this is good then the verse seven he says and the sons of aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay wood in order upon the fire. The verse 8, And the priest and Aaron's sons shall lay the pot. Huh, this is good. The herd and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. Last verse. He says, But the inward and his legs that means the intestines or the pertinence thereof he says and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a what burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the lord that means sweet perfume to the lord are you following this? So that is the bent offering. God says, number one, you, you have to wholly give the offering to God willingly. He says that the, the animal to be used for the sacrifice must be without blemish. He says you shall lay hands on the animal. I wish I had an animal here. Then the animal shall be killed. The blood shall be sprinkled on the altar. Then the animal will be flayed and then cut into pieces. And the altar will be prepared with wood and fire in it. Then you pour the pieces of the animal on the altar of burning sacrifice for the offering to burn and ascend to God. Now, the word burnt offering is from the Hebrew word olah, which is O-L-A-H. Ola or Ola. Now, it means an offering of ascent. That's Ola. An offering of ascent. That means to go up. That's the meaning of bent offering. It's Ola, which means an offering of what? Ascent or to go up. So when the bent offering is offered, it goes up to God. Are you following this? What was the purpose of the burnt offering? Number one, it was for an expression of devotion to God. It was not forced. Any man that gave a burnt offering did that willingly. He decided to devote that animal to God. Are you following? So it was an expression of what? Devotion to God. Number two, it was performed to atone for the sins of the people against the Lord. It was performed to atone for the sins of the people against the Lord. So it was not only for devotion. It was not only for the expression of devotion. But also to atone for sin. Number three. It was a dedication. 
of it was a form of dedication of one's life before the Lord continually. A form of dedication of one's life to the Lord continually. It's like when you bring that offering, you say, I offer my life to God. Next, it was a voluntary act of worship of free will offering, expression, devotion, commitment, and complete surrender to God. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. Now, this offering was so vital that it was offered in the mornings and in the evenings. Very vital. And in a burnt offering, nothing on the bullock or the goat or the turtle dove was left. Everything was given. You need to note that down. Everything was given holy to God. The only thing that was left was the skin of the animal. It was given for the priest to eat. And I wish I had time to explain why it was so. But everything was holy given. Nothing was left. Everything. The intestines, the legs, the head, the nose, the mouth, everything was holy given. Bent unto the Lord. Nothing was left. Following? So it was to atone for sins so that the sinner can be accepted when that offering has been accepted. And it was also to express devotion and commitment and complete surrender to God. Are you following this? So now, how do we explain this particular offering in the light of Jesus Christ? As everything about the animal was wholly given to God as a sacrifice. Now, we can only explain the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. Remember that the Old Testament was an anticipation of Christ. So what they were doing was a drama that was anticipating what Jesus was going to do in fulfillment of that. Are you following? So this was the drama. Christ is the true story. So we can only explain this better by how the New Testament described this offering called the bent offering. We see that in Hebrews or Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 5. I love it. He says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world. Who is he? Jesus is he. He says, he said, sacrifice and offering. Huh? Are you seeing what was said in Leviticus? It's now being explained. What we saw as a mysterious code was the code was broken in Hebrews. He says, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not. In other words, God did, was not pleased with any sacrifice that was ever offered to him. He was just managing. So no sacrifice ever pleased God. He says, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not. But what? A body. In other words, the turtle dove, the bullock, the sheep, the cow, the goat. All these things was an anticipation to picture what the body of Jesus would do. 
He says, but a body thou hast prepared me. So the body of Jesus became the lamb of God, the bullock of God, the sheep of God, the goat of God, offered to God. So he says, but a body has thou prepared me. So Jesus' body was prepared in incarnation to become the ultimate sacrifice, wholly given to God. Now look at the next verse. He says, in a... Uh, in what are we teaching now he says in what bent offerings so you see he mentioned even only bent offering and then qualified the rest of the offerings as sacrifices that tells you how relevant the bent offering is and I'm going to explain that soon he says in bent offerings and sacrifices for sin that is the sin offering and the trespass offering he says, thou hast no pleasure. He was never pleased. That offering never satisfied him. Next verse. Watch. <laughs> I love it. He says, then said I, lo, I come. Who is I? Jesus is I. I come in the volume of the book. <laughs> now, Jesus is saying, I came to fulfill what was written concerning me right from Genesis to Malachi. Now, he was supposed to say books because Genesis to Malachi is 39 books. But he says, lo, I come in the volume of the book. Why did he say book and not books? He was saying that all the books was picturing one story. So that story became a book. Let me break it down again. Genesis to Malachi was 39 books. But because they all tell one story. What is the story? Christ will suffer and enter into glory. Talking of his death and resurrection. They all speak one language. So he qualified all the books and called it book. Because it's one story. So he says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Now, he says, to do thy will, O God. To what? Do thy will, O God. What is the will? Bent offering and sacrifices for sin. That was the will. So he says, he came to what? Do thy will, O God. Now, look at the next verse. He says, and above, when he said, sacrifice and offering, he has repeated again, what? And burnt offering, and offering for sin. Thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Next verse. He says, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. What is the first? The Old Testament with the sacrifices. That he may establish the second, which is Christ's blood fulfilling all sacrifices. That was the second. He took it away. Oh God. That he may establish the second. So, 
he uses the burnt offering twice with four verses and he says he came to do his will oh god remember we said the burnt offering was an expression of what devotion to god devotedness commitment and complete surrender to god it was also for the sin or the atonement for sin please are you following this now why did the writer place the burnt offering first number one because it was the most important offering before any other offering listen redemption would not have been possible if jesus christ was not our burnt offering this is good redemption would never have been possible if jesus christ was not our burnt offering jesus had to wholly give himself and offer himself to god even before death listen you can die for someone and not be wholly given to that death you need to understand that long before jesus died jesus was wholly given to god in obedience to do his will he was completely surrendered to god every part of his being before he gave his body to die his eyes his nose every being every part of jesus was wholly devoted to god and giving as an offering to god praise god and many don't know the first objective of jesus christ was not first to save you from sin the first objective of Jesus Christ was to do God's will and glorify him. Don't forget that. The first objective of Jesus was to do God's will and bring glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Are you following this? So, the burnt offering is the highest aspect of the work of Christ. It is the highest aspect of the work of Christ. You know, many a times when we are told the story of the death of Jesus Christ, we just hear Jesus died. But listen, guys, there are details in that detail. He did not just die. He was wholly given to God. Every part of Jesus was consecrated and given to God as an offering. His thoughts, his eyes, his hands, his feet, his emotions, everything was wholly given in obedience to God. I love this thing. Thank you, Jesus. Are you following? So just like the animal was wholly given to God, nothing was left out. Every part of the animal was bent. Jesus also was wholly given to God, even to the point of death. So the death became the culminating point of his whole wholly giving himself to God. Are you seeing that? So the death became the finality of his full dedication and absolute consecration and devotion to God. Please follow this because this is very important. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5, the verse 2. Now watch this. 
says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And as what? Giving himself. This is burnt offering here. Remember when we read Leviticus 1, he says the offering shall be a sweet savour to God. He says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself as an he has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to who? God for a sweet smelling savour. That means God was pleased with the offering and sacrifice of Jesus. Hallelujah. In Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 4, the verse, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, the verse 5. The Bible says, Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it no robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Watch. He says, And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, his only giving himself was even to the point of death. It was in his obedience. To be wholly given to God, his obedience is founded on obedience. And Jesus fully obeyed God in every aspect of his life. John chapter 14, verse 31. Watch that. Look, he was, see, he was given to do God's will. That is Jesus. He was given to do God's will. To an extent, one time, they were all hungry. They went to buy food and Jesus met with the Samaritan woman after they had the conversation and the disciples bought the food. He was not hungry again. And they asked him, Master, why? This food? He says, no, no, no. My meat is to do the will of God and to accomplish it. In other words, what me makes me satisfied is to do God's will. <laughs> I find satisfaction in accomplishing God's will. That's what Jesus said. He was expressing the language of the burnt offering. Holy giving in obedience to God. Look, remember the, the, the obedience of Jesus in death was only the finality of his obedience. He had been obeying God long ago. Long ago. Everything he did with the Father was in obedience. Death became the finality of that obedience. Please, are you getting this? He said, Jesus said unto them, my will is to no, John 14, the verse 31. He says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. Ah, that Jesus need to love the Father. Because he's God. But he said, that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Good teaching, right? So we want to investigate all the qualifications and the items that was mentioned in Leviticus chapter 1 with regards to the burnt offering and how Jesus fulfilled it. So number one, the Bible says in Leviticus 1, 3, the lamp must be without blemish. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you. The offering must be without blemish. Now watch. He says, if this 
If his offering be burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer the meal without blemish. That was the principal qualification before offering the burnt offering. He says it must be without blemish. That means that the bullock or the flock must not be one-eyed. It must not be three-legged. There should be no scar on the animal. The animal must be completely and absolutely without blemish. The word blemish is fault. There should be no fault on the animal. How does Jesus fulfill this? First Peter chapter 1 the verse 18. How Jesus fulfills the burnt offering. Number one, he was supposed to be without blemish. Now look, he says, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. He says, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, oh my goodness. Like the, the animal for the burnt offering was supposed to be without blemish. The Bible says Jesus was without blemish. Therefore qualifying to be the burnt offering offered for you to be saved. So that you can have the life of God. This is good news. He was without blemish. Hebrews chapter 7 the verse 26. For such a high priest became of us who is holy, harmless, undefiled. My goodness. Separate from sinners. That means you could not compare him to a sinner. When you saw Jesus, you saw the difference between a sinner and a holy man. He was separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. He is incomparably holy, righteous and without blemish. I'm teaching good here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 21. The Bible says, For God made him who knew no sin. So Jesus did not even know sin. He had no fellowship with sin. He was without sin. First Peter chapter 2, the verse 22. Who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth now when we say Jesus was wholly giving we are saying every part of him was what giving listen you uh, before sin you know before you were saved you couldn't give anything I'm sure maybe you could have given your lips but you couldn't give your heart you could have given your heart but not your lips you could have given your hand but not your legs but Jesus gave all. The Bible says not even God was found in his mouth. So Paul said he knew no sin. Peter said he did no sin. John said in him is no sin. In John chapter 8 he says which of you convicted me of sin? So you could not even find fault to an extent that Pilate who is an unbeliever said I find no fault with him. Now, why is it necessary that the lamb should be without blemish? Because the lamb could only be accepted when it was without blemish. 
And if the lamb was accepted, it was the only means by which the offer can also be accepted. So your acceptance was based on the acceptance of the offering. In other words, if your offering was with blemish, it was unaccepted. And if your offering was unaccepted, the offer will be unacceptable. So if Jesus was a lamb that was with blemish, you would have no hope. Jesus being the lamb without blemish was a hope of redemption. Because every man was tainted by sin. In fact, everybody was corrupted even before birth. We are sinners not by fault but by default. Adam's sin made all of us sinners. You can give birth to a man without Jesus Christ, put him in a room for 20 years and let him die. He will still go to hell because the issue is not how good you are, it's how dead you are. So the Christian life is not God first of all changing good men, changing bad men to good men. The Christian life is God first of all changing dead men to living men. It is to give you life. And Jesus was without sin. He was without blemish. And because he was accepted lamb, you can now be accepted by God. Guys, Jesus was approved. Now, when they brought the lamb or the animal, the bullock, to the priest, he would inspect every aspect of the animal and then give thumbs up. Approval that your offering has been accepted. Twice, Jesus received a confirmation that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That means I give thumbs up to him. I am well pleased with him. That was God's approval of his lamp. It is clean. It is acceptable. I'm teaching good here. So Jesus was without blemish. He was complete, perfect, sound, without spot, undefiled, upright, clean, and whole. And that was our hope. Because your only hope is in the unblemishedness or the unblemability of your offering. Because when there's blame on your offering, there is blame on the offerer. And today we can stand before God because an offering was accepted. Therefore, the offerer can now be accepted. Number two, quickly. I wish we had time. The offering must be offered according to one's voluntary will. That's the bend offering. It must be offered according to one's own voluntary will. That means it must be offered by one's free will. This offering was not mandated. It was not forced. The, the offerer decides to willingly offer it. So it was called a free will offering. Now, why was it so? How does Jesus fulfill it? We need to understand that Jesus was not confused at the cross. He was deliberate at his decision. Listen, the cross was God in the person of Jesus freely giving himself. Listen, it was, it was not like Jesus did not want to do it and then the father was saying, Charlie, yeah, why? 
fine. Be sorry on the third day, be fine. And Jesus says, Papa, sir. Papa. Mr. It was not that. It was not that your father was convincing him that no. And Jesus says, No. Then the father said, Try. No. It was a willing thing. He willingly offered himself because of you. He was not coerced. He wasn't confused. He was not forced. He was not manipulated by the father. He did that willingly. In fact, he saw what was he was going to go through. The Bible says when he saw the pain and the agony he was going to go through, he looked beyond the pain and saw the glory, which is you. Jesus saw the glory, which is you. And he almost, you know, his humanity was speaking. He says, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. Three times. He says, nevertheless, not your will, but not my will, but your will. So Jesus is saying that I, I don't want to bring my emotion here. I want to willingly do this thing. If it was, it was, if it was Minister Sam or uh, Minister Gosh, he would have said, Father, consider the cup. Consider this cup. Say, Father, you know, when he, and Mr. Gosh, as he's married, his wife, Mr. Sam, as they are married like that, they've enjoyed, they've tasted the apple already. And they are enjoying life and they are still enjoying and they will enjoy life. You see the, the pain is going to go through. You start thinking of a joy at home and start thinking of Brigitte at home. He said, Father, please consider the cup. I, I can't go through. How would my wife take this thing? Imagine Jesus being a single man. Not married. There's still pleasure. Imagine if Jesus said, but no, imagine if Jesus did that. And he'll, he'll be on the floor and then he's crying. When he sees the pain, then he'll get up and clean his legs. He said, Then the father will find some equipim lady for him to marry. You can imagine. Ila frasu sanana. Okay, that's fine. Willingly offered himself. I love you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 7. Look, he says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written on me to do what thy will. So Jesus did that will willingly. He did it. John chapter 10, the verse 15 to 18. Let's do this quickly. He says, As the Father knoweth me, even so I the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. He laid it down. He was not coerced willingly. Look at the next verse. He says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there and, and there shall 
be one fold and one shepherd. Look at the next verse. He says, therefore, do what my father loved me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. He laid it down. Look at the next verse. He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This is the commandment I have received of my father. So Jesus says, I'm willingly doing this. I know what I'm doing. I'm aware. I'm conscious. I'm not confused. You are the price I'm paying. Hallelujah. Number three. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4 number 3 he shall put his hand on the burnt offering that means there should be laying of hands on the burnt offering look at the verse 4 look he says and he shall put his hand upon what? the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement so what happens the hand is placed upon the burnt offering and then the burnt offering is accepted to make atonement now look at the picture of how the laying of hands was done. Interesting. What was the purpose of the laying on of the hands? I love this thing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Laying of hands is for two purposes. That's why the Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly. Because laying on of hands represents two main things. So you don't let anybody just put your hand, his hands on your head. It's for two main things. Number one, substitution. Number two, identification. When hands are laid on an animal, it represents two things. Number one, substitution. Number two, identification. I'm going to explain that. Now, what is substitution? Substitution is an exchange. An exchange. We love you, Lord. Substitution is an exchange. That means life for a life. It's an exchange. You are supposed to die, but I am taking your place. So that's an exchange. Praise God. You are cursed and I'm blessed. In substitution, I give you my blessing and I take your case. So there is an exchange. A beautiful picture is that of Isaac and the ram. Abraham was about to kill Isaac and God says, Abraham, stop now. I know that you fear me. And the Bible says, look, there was a ram whose horn was caught in the ticket. That's even a mystery. Isaac was supposed to die and Abraham was about to kill him because he was about to die. And God exchanged Isaac for a ram whose horn was caught in the ticket. The word ticket is the word for which we have tongues. The hand of the ram was caught in the ticket. It was a picture of Christ wearing the crown of tongues. So on that day, the Bible says the ram died in the stead of Isaac. Which is to picture substitution or the exchange. Isaac was supposed to die, but the ram took the place of Isaac. That's substitution. It's an exchange to take the place. 
Ephraim and Manasseh came to their, their grandfather Jacob for blessing. Manasseh was the elderly child and Ephraim was the younger one. According to the Jewish custom, the right hand blessing carries the greatest blessing. So when the right hand is laid upon you, you have the father's blessing and you will be blessed. So they brought them and Joseph arranged them in such a way that the right hand blessing will go on the firstborn who is Manasseh. But instead, there was an exchange. He rather placed his right hand on the little boy called Ephraim and placed the left hand on Manasseh. So the blessing that was supposed to go to, Man, uh, to Manasseh was now given to Ephraim. And what Ephraim did not deserve, he received it. What Manasseh did not deserve, he received it. So look at that. There was an exchange. Now, when I turn my hand this way, what do you see? The cross. It was a picture of what Jesus did in redemption. Manasseh means forgotten. Ephraim means fruitful. Manasseh was the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn amongst many brethren. He deserved the father's blessing. But guess what? Manasseh means what? Forgotten. Christ was forgotten. My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Ephraim means fruitful. That means Jesus was forgotten so that we can become fruitful. So the blessing that was supposed to go on the firstborn was transferred to the lastborn. We did not deserve the blessing. But because of the work of the cross, there was an exchange. His blessing came to us and he took our curse. Jesus became sin that we may become the righteousness of God. He was separated so that we can be united. His face was disfigured so that our face will be transfigured. Jesus cried, Abba. And he said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we will cry, Abba, Father, why have you so loved us? There was an exchange. He became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. That is an exchange, the substitution of Christ. So the burnt offering that had hands laid on was to picture an exchange. Remember, the ram was blameless and innocent. The offerer is guilty. When he lays hands, he's saying, I need a transfer of account. So that the innocence of the ram will come to me and my guilt will get to it. That's what we call substitution. So when enhance was laid, there was an exchange. My sin gets to you, your righteousness comes to me. So Jesus fulfilled the burnt offering in that, remember, it was the priest that lays hands on the animal. When Jesus was being baptized, number one, John the Baptist laid hands on him and dipped him in the water. When John the Baptist, who was a qualified high priest, laid hands on him, the sin of the whole world was transferred upon him. Number two, in the arrest of Jesus, the high priest Caiaphas, they all caught him. Unbelievers also touched him. Remember, the sinner together with the priest all lay hands on him. So both the Jews and the Gentiles, they all lay hands on Jesus so that there will be a transfer on Jesus so that he can have the permission to impute righteousness to the man that believed. That is substitution. Come on, shout. Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is my 
Listen, these are vital truths. So that the devil will not play with your head in the future. By saying you are not qualified. He said, hey, my substitute qualified me. He gave me his righteousness. I gave him my sin. He can't temper with the security of your salvation when you understand this reality. You know, people don't, re people don't regard the redemptive work again. No wonder we only preach the death of Jesus in Easter. After Easter, who stole my wedding gown? Bring back my wife, 2020. Oppression steal from the enemy. After Easter, everybody goes back to knock out Revelation. So we don't value the work of Jesus. Someone will say, nah, uh, substitution, Yebedi. Look at you! I pity you. I pity you. I pity you. Today when we are showing testimony, someone says, I, by the grace of God, I received a new car. Everybody starts shouting, glory! Someone says, I built my house just last week. Glory! Someone says, I have a testimony. Share, share, share. I got born again yesterday. Uh-huh. I got born again yesterday. Uh -huh. You know, that one is not a testimony. So they are waiting for the real testimony. Meanwhile, that's the real testimony. The church has misplaced its place. So we have become so earthly minded, carnally minded, materialistic in our thinking. We have replaced it with spirituality. Well, spirituality is cross-related. You cannot be spiritual about the cross. Substitution. That's the first. Number two, it signifies, laying of hands signifies identification. What is identification? In other words, when I lay hands on my offering, I identify with that offering. That means I become the very image and likeness of the offering. I become what the offering stands for. In other words, I assume the value and the worth of that sacrifice. I assume it. In other words, when I lay hands by identification, the value and the essence of that sacrifice becomes my real value. In other words, if the animal is valuable through the laying on of hands, I also assume the valuability of that animal. In substitution, Christ died for us. For us, exchange. In identification, Christ died us. He died me. It was me on the cross. So this is not an exchange. It's, it is to identify. It's like you become it. Am I helping? So, identification means that you assume the value and the worth of the sacrifice. In other words, if God accepted the sacrifice and found delight 
he accepted the one who brought it and found the same delight for that person. In other words, the joy and pleasure God has in the offering, he has that same joy and pleasure for the offerer. The offerer assumes the acceptance of this, the offering. That, that, that is to identify. You take the resemblance, the similitude of the worth of that offering. If the offering is clean, you are clean. If the offering is valuable before God, you are valuable before God. That is identification. I hope I'm helping here. So listen to this. Instead of being before God with our sins, lack of devotedness, disobedience, we are to stand before him on account or the ground of Christ's obedience. Because if you look at yourself, I don't think you have, you have been devoted enough to deserve God's acceptance. If you look at yourself, I don't think you have obeyed God enough to deserve God's acceptance. Nobody in this building. You can't even try. But one man obeyed. And through his obedience, we are made righteous. In Romans chapter 5, the verse 19, the Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we are made righteous not because we are obedient. We are made righteous because Christ was obedient and we believed it. So your obedience does not make you righteous. Your obedience, the obedience of Jesus made you righteous. This is a fact every believer must understand. If not, you will struggle with your Christian life. Does it mean in the New Testament there are no obedience? If you listen to my teaching on the five kinds of obedience, you understand that we have the obedience of Christ, number one. We have the obedience of faith. The obedience of Christ is Christ's obedience in death for your salvation. Number two, we have the obedience of faith, which is our response to that obedience. Number three, we have obedience of the word of God, which is our submission to the authority of the Bible. Then we have obedience of the spirit, which is our listening to the instructions the Holy Ghost gives to us in our daily work with God. Then we have the final obedience called obedience to spiritual authority. So obedience is required from us. But you see, in the initial stage of salvation, it is not your obedience in doing that makes you righteous. It is your obedience in believing that makes you righteous. I'm teaching good here. So the value and worth and acceptance was not in the offerer. It was in the offering. Listen. Whenever it is about your acceptance before God, always remember it has got nothing to do with you. Has God accepted me? Yes. How? By the acceptance of Jesus. How do I know? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 tells me that. That is why I give you scripture for everything I teach you. Because they are tough. Look, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. 
We didn't make ourselves accepted. He made us accepted. That means it was his job. It was his work that made us accepted, beloved. There is nothing you can do to gain God's acceptance. You must register this once and for all. Shout, I'm accepted in the beloved. It was the making of God in Jesus. I'm teaching good. Number four. We, are, we actually haven't gotten anywhere. Let's move to back to Leviticus chapter 4. The Bible says, Leviticus 1 4. All right, come to the next verse, the verse 5. Now watch. Oh, 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 I love this. Um, now, we, have, we, are, we are done with the laying hands and killing the animal. So when we lay hands on the animal, all the sins of the uprise laid upon him, the innocence is transferred to the man and they kill the animal. When they kill the animal, you can run and go and rejoice. Because the death you were supposed to experience, someone has experienced that death. You see, that's why we say in, the, in Hebrews chapter 2, the verse 9, he says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor for the suffering of death, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. The word taste is not this. That's human taste. The word taste in Greek is experience. So he, by tasting that he experienced our death for us. The death we are to experience, Jesus experienced. How? There was an exchange. That's why I said, no sinner will go to heaven. No believer can go to hell. Why? Because that man believed in the Christ who tasted his death experience for him. So he can't taste it. You see, this is what makes the work of Jesus perfect. You know, people think that the believer can just lose his salvation just like that. As if it was easy to get it. Someone paid with his blood. You think it's easy? That you got born again today. You told the light tomorrow. You are going to hell. It took God 4,000 years. 4,000 years of waiting, acting drama concerning what his son is going to do. Then one lie. You know what it means? Adam's work was greater than Christ. Which is impossible. Listen, we are magnifying the work of Jesus. I'm accepted. I'm righteous. See, see, see. Condemnation has affected. See, me, I was a professional condemnation condemner. I was a professional law preacher. I went to one secondary school. I preached hell for the people to feel hell in their seat. And everybody gave their life to Christ in fear. They were weeping. And I was also weeping with them. When I got out, I said, aha. When it comes to condemnation, we were, we were masters. But it didn't change anybody. So now that we have found the, the true meaning of the gospel, we, we will teach it. 
secured in Christ Jesus. See, the work Jesus did was not small work. Why am I? So the sinner can go scot-free. The offerer will go rejoicing because my death has been taken by another. Listen, whatever you saw the priest do to the offering was what was supposed to be done to you for sin. Listen, the wages of sin is not mercy. The wages of sin is death. And that's why people don't understand this thing. When it comes to sin, it's not that it's okay. Forget about it. There is no forget about it. You know why? Because God is just. Sin can never go without being punished. Every sin must be punished. So today, why is that you, you, you are doing some small, small things and then you are not punished? Because someone took your punishment. That's why you are working like that. When it comes to sin, it's not I pardon you. You must die. But Jesus took a place so that every experience, every damnation you are supposed to experience, he will experience it on your behalf. If Jesus cannot be in hell, I cannot be in hell. You know why? Because if any man be in Christ, that is where I am. Where Jesus is not going, I am going. Why is Jesus in heaven? Where am I? In Christ, in heaven. Where you are determines where you go. In him we live and move and have our being. Someone says, man of God, mm -mm. you have gone too far. Wait till I finish. We will talk about Jesus. Number four. Look, look at the next verse. He shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. This is incredible. Look at how God was instructing them to do. It's as though God was seeing Jesus whilst he was giving instructions. He knew whatever was happening to this thing, it was a type. God was seeing Jesus. He shall flay. Now, the word flay in Hebrew is passat. Not V W passat. It's passat. P A S S sat. Sorry, 80. Passat. Come on, say passat. You know what it means? It means to deploy in hostile array. Number two, it also means to strip. Number three, it will shock you. It means to whip. Or to beat. Incredible. He says he shall whip the bent offering. He shall strip it. And he shall beat it. And cut it into pieces. Guess what? Our bent offering was also whipped. By whose stripes? By whose stripes? So, he was striped. Look at Mark chapter 15, the verse 15. Mark 15, 15. Look. 
He says, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. And when they are scorched him, so just like they flayed the burnt offering, Jesus was flayed. You know, when we were growing, we thought the scourging process of Jesus was the cane that they have been uh, using to beat us when we were in Jesus. The one that you have been loading your bottles with uh, star and foam and a small size bottles person now becomes a, a poofu on the back. Then the teacher beats you, it comes poof, poof, poof. Then it's like you, you can stand. But something is standing in you. It's not that one. It's not king. The scourging process of Jesus was not with the king. The Romans were not using canes. So they used a certain instrument called the matics. Say matics, not matrix. Matics. Or the flagrum. Or the cut of nine tails. Now, it was a leather handle, a steady leather handle with nine outlets outlets it was like ropes nine outlets of ropes and on each rope there were broken pieces of lead balls sheep bones metals and broken bottles it was tied on every aspect of the ropes nine outlets so when you are whipped one it's as though you have been whipped nine It was so severe that most of the time the victims don't survive. They die in the process because they bleed so much. In fact, they could be whipped until their bones were showing. So it was not king. The, the, the animal was flayed. Christ was flayed. He was, he was beaten. He was, you know, the Jewish people beat 40 minus 1. So they give you 39. They say that one is free. We, we dash you that one. What about 39? They call it the act of mercy. But the Romans will give you 40. Because Jesus was flogged by the Romans, they gave him 40. Now, every rope or every handle or every outlet putting it together makes nine. Huh? And when they whip you one, it's as though they whip you how many? Nine. Nine times 40 is what? 360. A full circle. That means he was striped for a complete healing. 360 degrees healing. Complete healing. Guys, if you came here sick, I prophesy by the unction on my head. I declare that every sickness in your body, maybe your father is sick, your mother is sick, your auntie is sick. If anybody is sick around you or even you being the person, I command the power of God to touch your body now. In the name of Jesus. I set your body free. Be healed now. In Jesus' name. Amen. The animal was flayed. Christ was whipped. Also fleed. Isaiah says by his tribe. David looked at it and says no. Prophetically. This one was not stripes. Psalm 129 verse 3. 
He says the plowers plowed on my back. So David saw plowing. You know plowing. Yet to mechito crow. So when Isaiah saw stripes, David looked closely. He got closer and said, No, this one is not scourging, it is whole. So he says, The plowers plowed my back. So it was a plowing process. They did that to the back of Jesus. My savior can't suffer for me like this for me to suffer in hell. Leviticus 1, back to the verse 6. Is it 6? Yes, 6. And they cut it into pieces. That means to completely condemn. When Jesus was striped, his, his body received cuts all over. It was the same cutting process. Your burnt offering. He was cut into pieces. Hallelujah. Number five. He says, the priest shall lay the parts. Come to the next verse. He says, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. So number five, the priest shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood on the altar. So you can just write, the priest shall lay the parts, the head and the fat of the animal upon the fire. It's amazing. So God says specifically, take the head, the parts and the fat. He separated the head and the fat from the other parts. And he says, put it on wood on the fire on the altar now give me that picture of the altar now many of you don't know this but you need to understand that the furniture on which the sacrifice was made was called the altar of burning sacrifice now this was actually a box like furniture that was made of wood and it was overlaid with gold with bronze so they made it with wood of equal sizes then they overlaid it they covered it they melted bronze and they used it to overlay it so when you look at it it looks exactly like bronze but it was actually made of wood bronze was just used to cover it then they placed wood inside where they burned the offerings they called it the altar it was made of wood and the sacrifice was placed on it the wood on the altar was representing the cross the offering was representing Christ. Putting the offering on the wood on the altar was representing Christ put on the cross. The fire that was in the altar was representing judgment. That means Christ was put on the cross to be judged by God's anger. Fire was God's fairy indignation concerning sin. So when a sacrifice is put on the wood and the fire is consuming it, it was to picture that our judgment placed Jesus on the cross and he suffered for it. It's amazing. So when you see the animal burning and you begin to smell the animal, you remember, this was my story. 
But someone took it. He says, take the head and the fat. Why did God specify the head and the fat? He says, burn it holy. Give it holy. The head and the fat. You'll be shocked. Now, the head is the, the organ for housing the brain. Which engages in the processing of thoughts. Remember that. Mindsets, knowledge, reasoning, and intelligence. So the head is the house is the organ for housing the brain, which engages in the process of thoughts, mindsets, knowledge, reasoning, or intelligence. Shout intelligence. Remember, all the five senses are connected to the head. Taste, sight, smell, touch is all connected to what the head. So the head will represent all the sensory perceptions. The Bible says, put it on the altar. You know what that means? All the sensory perceptions of Jesus. His taste. His sight. His touch. His perspective. His intelligence. Everything was wholly given to God. His reasoning was wholly dedicated to God. Jesus did not think what he wanted to think. God taught his thoughts through him. Everything was only given to God as an offering, as a sacrifice. So it was not just Jesus' body dying on the cross. Everything about Jesus, his reasoning, his intelligence, everything was wholly dedicated to God as an offering. And the Bible says the fat. The fat of the animal, according to the Jewish people, was the choicest part of the animal. It was the best part. In fact, the fat was called the lost portion. That was the best part of the animal according to the Jewish nation, the Jewish culture. And that fat was also bent. That means the best of Jesus was wholly given to God. The best of Jesus was given to God. Holy giving. Come on, shout holy giving. So Jesus gave his reasoning, his sight, his taste, everything. It was given to God. Oh my goodness. And guess what? If God was to require this from you, you didn't get this. You couldn't meet that requirement. Because you may give your eyes to Jesus, but your ears to one boy. You couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't see. You, you couldn't be that holy devoted as an offering to God. But Jesus could and he did. All for you. So Jesus did for man what God required from man that man could not do by himself. The more we frail humans are tested, the more imperfections are revealed. But the more Jesus was tested, the more his perfections was revealed as a sweet server before God. You know when you test human beings for a long time, you're going to see more, human, more imperfections. But the more Jesus was tested, you saw more perfection on every side. Even at a the point, they wanted to test his wisdom. And they said, the Lord said that when a woman commits adultery, he should be stoned. What said thou? 
He was tested. Guess what? By the time it was done, it was perfection. Everything. All together lovely. Number six, the next verse. He says, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar. Why? You can just put it on the fire and burn it. God says, wash the intestines with the legs in water before you burn it. So number six, the inwards and his legs must be washed in water before it is burnt. This is beautiful. Now, what does the inward part represent? The inward part represents emotions. Inward virtues. The soul and the heart. Emotions, inward virtues, the soul and the heart. is the inside. That's the inward. Next, the legs signifies walk or conduct. Legs signifies walk or what? Conduct. The Bible says you must wash it in water. What does water do? It purifies. And you must wash it before you burn it. That means Jesus had his emotions, his soul, his inward virtues all purified. His walk was holy. It was beautiful. It was not without a single sin before it was offered to God. His emotions was pure. Cleansed. Clean. His walk, his talk, his conduct, everything was pure before it was offered to God. That's beautiful. And everything was wholly given to God. Are you following this? Jesus is our bent offering. And he did this for us. To be accepted. Two minutes. Watch this. What is our response to the bent offering? There is a response. In salvation, Jesus gave himself holy. Holy. To God. Guess what? That made you saved. Now in your Christian life, you give yourself holy to God. That is your response. And many don't like this one. But I'll preach it. We love the sweet. We want to throw the bitter away. And when we don't understand this balance, that is where chaos happens in the lives of people. Do you know salt is a makeup of sodium and chloride? But sodium on its own is poison. Chloride on its own is also poison. You must put both together to have salt which preserves when you understand only the finished work of Christ he did for you as an act of love and you don't, you don't understand your role instructed that finished work may later become poison for you because it may either make you lazy or irresponsible and we have many of them in town 
Christ has finished the work, so he has prayed for us. He has finished the work, so he has saved all the souls for us. Christ has finished the work. So there's no, you see, whatever I do does not matter again. Sodium. I just gave you doctrine. Now I'm to give you instructions so that you have a balanced, preserved life. And this is what many have not understood. In salvation, God gave himself wholly. Offered himself without spot to God for you. Now, in your Christian walk, you offer yourself wholly to God without spot. In Romans chapter 12, the verse 1, in amplified version, he made a very striking statement there. Now remember, Jesus has given himself for us. Now we are saved. In our Christian walk, we are to come to the place where we begin to give ourselves to him. We give, we give. Remember, it was a willing offering Jesus gave. Now in your walk with him, it's a willing offering you give to him. You willingly decide to surrender your will to his will. Unto his will, freely reels in your life. Look, he says, I appeal. So this is an appeal. Not appeal for funds anyway. To you therefore, brethren, and I beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Remember, all the members of the burnt offering was given to God, just like Jesus was wholly given. Now you begin to now position and yield the members of your body and your faculties to Jesus Christ. You must give your mind to him. You must give your hands to him. He sacrificed for you, now you sacrifice for him. Look at the traffic you have to go through to come here. I'm sure some of you are tired. You are broken. It's called sacrifice. We are giving ourselves to him. First John chapter 3, the verse 16. He made some striking statement there. I love this thing. He says, hereby perceive we the love of God. If we want to understand love, this is it. He did not just say one side. He said because he laid down his life for us. That is burnt offering. He did not end there. And many are only on that side. He laid down his life. We are free. We are saved. That is all. So you find Christians who profess that they are saved. But in their conduct they are thieves. In their conduct they are liars. And because they are not taught well. They carry the truth of God's work without responsibility. Every truth you receive, you become accountable with your action. He says, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now he gave himself to us. We give ourselves to him and to others. This is the completeness of Christianity. He gave himself to us that we may give ourselves to him and to others. Listen, the Christian life is founded on sacrifice. Christ gave himself to us. We build on sacrifice. That same sacrifice. We give ourselves to others. You can't sacrifice for any Christian. You didn't understand the gospel. You have enough money. Nobody benefited from it. It's only you. There is no selfishness in the body. I'm telling you. 
There's no selfishness. We give ourselves. We lay down our life for others. And this is what makes real faith, real faith. We give validity. We give voice to our faith. Because faith without works is dead. This is why we don't only believe the gospel. We now behave the gospel. So now we begin to consecrate our lives to him. Now we begin to live a holy life. It is not everything these hands is now going to touch. It's not everything these eyes are now going to view. Because listen, in salvation, God purchased you. You are no longer your own. You are no longer your own. Now the life you have must be given back to the one who gave you that life. Many of you are living like possessors. Nothing belongs to you. Not even your body. And many of us are living for ourselves. We become so selfish in our Christian life. You know, selfishness terminates the potency of the cross. Check anyone, any believer who is selfish. You would never see Christ in his life. Never. So John said, he must increase. I must decrease. How much of you is in you now? Until Christ is amplified and you are muted, you will, your life will never glorify God. And many of you don't know that your life must glorify God. Your life, it must bring glory to Jesus. Every work you do must bring glory. And that is when we begin to lay down our lives. We don't give that life back to him. In Romans chapter 6, the verse 11. Final scripture before we close. He says, likewise, recall ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Are you seeing that Christ dealt with sin? Now he's de- de- talking about your practical work as a believer. He said, let not sin reign in your mortal body. That means a believer can allow sin. He said, let not. That means you can let he says, let no sin reign in your mortal body. You can be born again, speak in tongues, and sin is still reigning. Because you permitted it. He says that you should obey in its last thereof. Sin functions with last desires. The next verse. He says, neither yield. Someone says, I don't know what happened to me. All of a sudden, hey, hey. You don't know what. He says, neither yield. So, it's about you yielding. You are yielding, you are submitting. He says, neither yield your members, that's your body, as instruments of unrighteousness. So this body you are having is now a machine. It's an instrument. It can be used. As instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He says, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God you must carry your hand you must tell the eyes what it must behold because nobody presses pause or play on that video for you you must yield the members of your body to God as a living sacrifice you present it And listen, unto the members of your body are wholly given to God, you will never see spiritual growth in your life. You won't. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 15. He says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. This is talking about selfishness. There are many believers who are still alive. They are sensitive to offense. You are alive. There are pastors who are sensitive to titles. They didn't call him apostle. He says, do you know when I was ordained? You didn't call me apostle, reverend, doctor, right reverend? You are alive. Because even Jesus calls himself by his first name, Jesus. Jesus. You are alive. Slightest offense. You are, you are angry. You are alive. When you are wholly given to God, you lose sight of many things. You, you still have possession. You still have ownership. You are too sensitive to yourself. You are too important in your own eyes. When we are wholly given, offense don't last for a minute. Depression doesn't last for a minute. Kill a bro for sota kineme. We give this body to Jesus because it belongs to him. He paid for it. It belongs to him. We decide. We are saying we are not going to do this sin again. We are responsible. We have dominion over sin. Sin cannot dominate our life. A believer who gives into sin was the one who opened the lock. Because the Bible says you are dead. Therefore sin shall not have dominion over you. You are no longer a slave. But you see you can willingly become a slave to sin. We'll continue tomorrow. Jesus was offered as a burnt offering for us. It is wise to know that that price was not in vain. And we must also offer ourselves to him. And offering yourself to God is not your mouth. It's not the worship we do for 10 minutes and you kneel down after kneeling down and say, Jesus, I love you. And, and that is all. That's not what I'm talking about. Giving yourself to Jesus. See, many people think we give our life to Christ in salvation. No, you can't give your life to Christ. Because your life is dead. Ephesians 2, 1, it says, You who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you were dead. You don't have any life to give to Christ. In salvation, Christ gives his life to us and we receive his life. It is after salvation we can give our life to Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. It is only when you are born again that you can give your life to Christ. So giving your life to Christ is after salvation, not for salvation. He says, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Giving yourself to the Lord is giving your time to him. It's giving your treasure to him. It's giving your talent to him. Giving your emotion to him. Giving your leadership to him. There are many selfish leaders around. They don't think of Jesus. There are many people who have sacrificed and betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for an appointment letter. They had to lie. They had to sleep with a man before they had an appointment letter. How do we betray Jesus like that? We have not understood what it means to give ourselves to the Lord. 
In salvation, we experience redemption. In our Christian work, we experience consecration. We dedicate ourselves wholly to the Lord. To live for Jesus and Jesus alone. To bring him glory. And we renounce every hidden secret sin. We renounce it. Because we are representing someone's name. If I have the same name of Akufuado, there is a way I must behave because his name is at stake. I'm using his name. If I'm using a government car, I, I drive my car well because that car is not for, it's for government. The government of God is on you. You must know how you represent that government. Yeah, some of your parents cannot believe in Jesus Christ because they see you going to church but they don't see glory in us. they don't see glory because you're always disrespectful you have disrespected all your siblings you have disrespected your father, your mother, everybody so there is no testimony in your calling you only shout you are saved but there is no evidence of that salvation because you have not given yourself wholly to the Lord you haven't and that's the price we must pay to honor Jesus if you don't pay that price your, your Christian life will be epileptic. So there are many potent Christians, but impotent in their work. We don't see Jesus glorified. It's only about self. Satisfying their pleasure. What they feel like doing, they just do it. They just feel like having sex, they have sex. They just feel like telling a lie, they tell a lie. You have not understood what it means to give yourself to the Lord. It's a sacrifice. And if Christians don't understand this, the devil will whip us, I'm telling you. He'll mock the church. He'll mock the church. He'll mock us. If we want to carry this message, we must carry ourselves in that message. By giving ourselves to the Lord. And giving glory to Jesus Christ in every action, on our lips, in our heart. We don't harbor envy and bitterness in our heart. That's not consecration. Lift up your hands.